This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, now it's going. Okay, right. you were trying to trick me before. <laughs> no, I was just asking if you were ready. Okay, so in this podcast today, um, this is something that maybe we should have shared ages ago. but and, and a lot of the information is still exactly the same as it's always been. Um, and that is, what are the long-term fantasies? Now, when you take a PDC then a lot of times what you're going to do is a lot of people will design stuff for their property. And it's like, here's all of the things I want to have on my property, and here's how I'm going to get them to all fit in. And then um, I, I prefer lists, and we've done a good job of maintaining those lists in uh, a spreadsheet and prioritizing them, and then people actually would sign up for them and, and do them. Um, and and now we're, we're moving into a space where it's... Um, more like uh, 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 there's different software we're using, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we're getting high tech about a lot of that. But still, there's this list, this massive list. And uh, and I just whipped out this list here pretty quick, um, probably in like 20 minutes. Um, and so you're going to, as we go through, you're going to see if there's anything you could think of to add to this list. It looks like a really thorough list. And, and I'll just have comments on the side about the list you've come up with. I think the overarching goal is that we're actually creating new things and innovating and experimenting instead of just maintaining and just repairing what we have. We've, we've, we've had a hard time, you know, getting the first initial infrastructure in place as well as, you know, keeping up with everything we have. I, you know, I want to just... Bef- before I forget, because it's not on the list, that um, I, I want to somehow facilitate more people, professional people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like uh, um, why the the reason why we do this is not for money, because I think you know, if nothing else, you and I work all day long every day to make money to keep. To move all this stuff forward mm-hmm. in a way that does not has provides very little, if any, benefit to us whatsoever, and and it's like no, it's a, it's about the community. But but what we really need is is that uh, like right now it would be great to have somebody here who rented out all the structures and um, could set up a bunch of the the different events and manage events. And I kind of feel like it's not a thing where I'm not getting the impression that it's even one person. We, we've tried several individuals, and then it's like it didn't happen. It didn't. It didn't jive. Whatever. And um, so, but but people, I I would really like to. I and and then it seems like a lot of people turn to me as being the expert, and it's like no, I think I gave that up by buying this property, even before buying this property. I, I can't be the expert. Um, and and, and uh, 
I've got there's I want to live in a community where there's like 20 experts and each person like one person this is a knows way more than I do about honeybees and this other person knows far more than I know about natural building and this other person knows far more than I know about you know and it goes on and on and on and and it's the best that I've done I bought land and I shared it and I have I have moved very strongly in the direction of building community uh, first. Mm-hmm. And and then our you know we got here because we've had people say, why are your gardens suck why do they suck and it, and it's like I started off as a gardener gardening was what led me to permaculture, but it's kind of like the the mission is 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 that building community comes first and the earliest step is you got to have community habitat, you've got to have a place where in Montana where people can overwinter I mean permaculture is a perennial system. All right, backing up. The list is about things that are far more physical, and right. and it's uh, and basically it's a fantasy list, and it's I there's been I've seen so many different permies and different people coming out with like, um, you know the the best of last year, and here's our goals for this year, and 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 it's kind of like. Um, this list is going to morph a hundred times this year, and it's not a list for one year. This is a list for twenty years and beyond. Yeah, I I think some people like to listen to the most recent podcast first. So for those people who are interested in Wheaton Labs or interested in some of the permaculture stuff you have online, and they're coming to this. I'm going to do a real quick back up of my own that Wheaton Labs is actually two pieces of property. It's base camp and the lab. And when you bought these properties in 2013, base camp, you first bought the lab, uh, which was raw land, yeah. totally raw land. And it still is off-grid now, but it's not so such raw land now. Um, and then base camp is two miles you know, or so away, and it had a double-wide that we call the Fisher-Price House. It had the detached garage right next to the Fisher-Price House that we call the library and the garage. And it had this big, massive, lovely shop. And it had a tack shed, which is now the Red Cabin. Mm. So we were thrilled to have this awesome shop and this house with the garage so close to the lab to be base camp for the innovations that are the goal at the lab. Since then, we've built roads, we've built trails, we've built other structures, um, a, a lot of other structures, and some of them are still works in progress, but <laughs> but um, but there's been a lot that has happened since then, and and but that's where we started. I I think a big thing is 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 uh, a, a huge lesson learned from a lot of this. I mean, here we are. We've been here over four years now, and it's kind of like, um, wow. If if you want to build a permaculture community, you might need to drop twenty million to get it started. <laughs> And oh, and it's like, but we're trying to do it on a shoestring, and and it's like, okay, how do you build community on a shoestring? And and we're trying to um, solve solve that question, come up with the answer to that question. And there are places that have done it, but um, and along the way, it's kind of like, how do you how do you uh, uh, improve your overall forward velocity while simultaneously 
turning down the volume knob on drama from the human beings. And I and I think we can find a recipe to, to get that to work, but it's going to take work to make it easier. <laughs> Right. And and in the process, yeah, like a design, instead of an overall design, you have a fantasy list. We all have these fantasy lists, and we want to get out ahead of just barely maintaining and facilitating to the point that we're actually completing things and creating things. Um, it's always been a little bit of a catch-22. We want the awesome spaces and the awesome examples to draw people here. And yet we need the people here to help create those examples to draw the people here. So we need the people to make the things. And we need the things to bring the people. I think another thing we kind of suffer from is uh, people come and they uh, are like, you know, I, I say, here's the thing we're, that we need help on the most. And they're like, oh, I don't like that. You know, let me look at the list. And, I wanna, and then they, they pick a thing, like, ooh, I want to do this. And then they do it like 20%, and then they leave. You know, and, and it's like, so, so this is where the boot camp program is really going to be great. It's like, okay, boots, you don't get to pick. <laughs> You're going to work on the stuff that we need to get done ASAP. And, um, but which, by the way, along the way, um, I think that the Boots have had some of the most excellent uh, instruction that we've ever offered. So we've been very fortunate to have some some real superstars come in and guide the Boots. Um, and so, but it's all natural building. I mean, I, maybe it's uh, five to ten percent icky work, like stuff you really wouldn't want to do like nah, I don't want to do that but I think most of it is uh, like you know the couch balcony um, uh, Willow Wonka uh, which was run with timber framing lots and lots of really cool projects uh, straw bale stuff up at Allerton Abbey and Cobb yeah um, uh, yeah well, you know lots of lots of roundwood timber framing uh, happened at Allerton Abbey this year uh, last year um, so there's but I think the boots is going to be like you know Knock it out. And, and I think at the top of the list, we really got to hit the projects that are currently not done first. So, like, because it's it starts to get messy. And that's another thing that's not on this list is it's like um, we have learned that, uh, you know, of, of all the money that's spent, of all the people that's here, of all the whatever that happens, it's, it's like the need for somebody to clean and and it's kind of like um, there have been days where I know you've gone like three days straight of doing of not doing your work for your clients or for the empire or for Wheaton Labs, and it's been entirely cleaning up after other people, uh, who including people who were paid to clean up after other people. Um, that's happened bunches of times, and and it's like because people people are messy, and at the same time, not only are people messy, but uh, there's uh, like there's people who are sure that they never leave behind a mess, <laughs> but but they leave behind a big mess, and if they were to arrive and see their own mess, but didn't know it was theirs, they'd be like, oh, this place is a shithole. <laughs> and it's a, and, and really, it's like if you're gonna try and and build community, I believe. Or even do any Airbnb stuff or anything like that. It's like you've got to you've got to have it be tidy. And 
I know that we had the uh, the people come out to video us for television shows, which never materialized into anything. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember they said uh, like nine out of ten places that they go to are shitholes, mm-hmm. and the people are just all stoned all day. Really? Yeah. I didn't remember them saying that. No. So, uh, so they felt like our place was pretty tidy, but it's like this is it's tidy because we. There's there's a lot of effort put into it, and and all the stuff. When I say we, I think uh, other than you, I think a lot of it is not me. Uh, you know, the cleaning has been you, but for a lot of these projects, we say we built this and we built that, and and it's the we as in the 20 people that were here that at that time, that that did it and built it, and and so, um, uh, but all right. Here's the list. Getting, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump into the list. <laughs> yeah, let's do. Top of the list, and this is not in priority order or anything like that. This is as order, order of me remembering. <laughs> right, just random stuff. It, it, you did organize it into sections though. There's, there's a section for the lab, which is the off-grid, former uh, timberland land, um, and the lab now has two wolfadis, a teepee, and some other wolfadi-style cabins in Ant Village. That's right. what the lab is. Right. So. Um, you organize in the lab, base camp, the entire Wheaton Labs project, not Not location specific. specific. And then Empire, a empire. few Empire things. Right. Which is all your online stuff. We call that right. the Empire. And and I don't, I think I've just, I, I, I didn't finish the list and I was like, you know what, let's just go ahead and, and, um, and convey what we've got so far and yeah. All right. ATI test. So this is on a Wafati. There's annualized thermal inertia, and right. um, uh, Allerton Abbey uh, uh, is currently not online, and um, uh, Allerton Abbey has brand new uh, uh, structural timbers inside of it. Um, two of the posts were sinking. And um, so we've done things to totally stop the sinking. And uh, at the same time, uh, we went through and there was like one point where we're looking at it and it's kind of like that that log looks like it's holding on more weight than it, you know, we think it can take on. So we shored it up. And then along the way, um, we've, we've, we think that one of the logs on the roof uh, was weak during the process of trying to lift it. It made a cracking sound, so we have like quadruple shored it up. So it is now. And then we had two engineers who visited after we were after we shored it up, and they both proclaimed that it's like belt and suspenders safe. It's like it's like way over engineered now, and it'll be it's great. It's rock solid. The things that surprised me, I was really trying, you know, this is our 0.7 uh, version Wafati, which is, it's not even version 1.0 yet. You know, this is the very first attempt at people who had never built a Wafati before trying to build a Wafati. And I was trying to wrap my head around, how did this happen? And until you took me up there and explained that when some wall construction happened, some parts um, were removed that were actually oh, right. structural. <laughs> so, so somebody was like somebody not. tried to enhance a wall, and they're like, "Oh, these little angle pieces here, those we don't need those. Those aren't doing that. They're just purely decorative." 
so they they took it out and oh. it's like no that was structural <laughs> that was part of what kept it from sinking so um and then plus there had been an attempt at at measuring temperatures and testing it um the annualized thermal inertia one winter but that's when we realized the interior walls were drafty and really needed to be cobbed in exterior walls yeah Right. Right. So there's yeah. there's the mass walls. Right. Yeah. You know, and I don't think any air is passing through those ever. Yeah. And then there's the exterior walls. There you go. And yes. and there's you know one on the uphill side, one on the downhill side, and um uh, the feedback was is like yeah the wind just blows right through and it's like what <sighs> so then I went up there and and uh, and sure enough it's like um, yeah. damn it Beavis and so uh um, but. Uh, um, we're going to have the peasant PDC. In fact, I just spent most of today uh, hammering out some details for the peasant PDC, PDC, and ATC. And they will hopefully be announced um, this evening. For this year, 2018. Yeah. So, yeah. So the peasant PDC, uh, the primary function of the peasant PDC will be to make Allerton Abbey perfectly fabulous. So like right now, Allerton Abbey um, has uh, a, a brand new wall just built, uh, Straw Belt. We had several natural builders out to help give us guidance on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to mention all the uh, roundwood timber framing, you know, uh, uh, super engineering. So it's like right. extremely over engineered, super, super sturdy. Um, ain't it gonna sink no more. And, and, I, and I feel like there's more to say about that, but first let's get it awesome and then i think i've got a whole book to write about wafatis and probably some dvds to whip out too but um all right because we've been trying to finish up allerton abbey we still haven't finished the second wafati which we call version 0.8 but it's it's cooper cabin cooper cabin and cooper cabin is lovely and spacious inside and it just has not had the full umbrella installed to be able to test yeah. test the ATI. So people love to stay in Cooper Cabin. Allerton Abbey seems small and cramped compared to Cooper Cabin. Cooper Cabin's large yeah. and spacious. And Cooper Cabin has that really um, that that standard rocket mass heater that's the the star of the book. The Cobb bench, yeah. Uh, for Ernie and Erica's uh, book. So um, all right, the the key is is that the peasant PDC which I believe is something like May 21st to June 21st, something around in there, then uh, the primary function of that is to make Allerton Abbey a permaculture paradise. So um, the, the, the remaining cob will be done, um, and then uh, a, a junk pole fence will be installed around Allerton Abbey, and then uh, culture beds will be built. Um, and uh, Erica always likes to work a lot of art into anything where there's cob, and so there'll be a lot of that. But um, it'll be a half day each day, five days a week, is going to be spent on classroom time, and then a half day a day each day is going to be spent on hands-on experience. All natural building, all woodworking, all all natural everything. And so plus you get a PDC certificate at the end. Then that'll be immediately followed by the uh, homesteading PDC, uh, which is going to be for advanced people, for permaculture, uh, for podcast people. And so over in 2012 at the PDC that was offered up in Dayton, um, 
and that a lot of the people were, that were there were podcast people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like more than half of the people were podcast people. Mm-hmm. And um, they expressed to me over and over and over again, and I've since heard it more than a hundred times, can we please have a PDC that is not catering to the lowest common denominator? And uh, something with a lot more grit, something, you know, and so we've got an instructor lined up, Alan Booker, who has taught PDCs to scientists and engineers. Lovely. And and this is going to be, uh, we, we are going to have microscopes, and it's going to, you know, so it's going to be a microscope-based kind of PDC. It's still a home-sitter's PDC, so not so much on urban or broad acre. Uh, it's going to be very focused on two to 200 acres. And uh, uh, but also it's going to be kind of at a level for people that have read like several books, they've they've been uh, 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 tinkering with permaculture for years. Uh, maybe they've listened to a hundred podcasts, uh, things of that nature. It's going to be it's going to assume a certain level of permaculture. It's not going to be for beginners. And I have my calendar out. Um, yeah, the Homesteaders PDC will be a two-week, the typical two-week PDC schedule. And my calendar is showing June 24th through July 7th. Um, richsoil.com forward slash PDC yeah. would be a place to look for that. Yeah. And the Peasant PDC is a month long because it's meant to be more hands-on and more affordable, even though it's longer. And and so it's um, it's less classroom time, more hands-on time, yeah. right? It's going to be a few hundred bucks, whereas mm-hmm. the formal 14-day PDC is going to be, I think, uh, the early bird price will be 1150. Okay. So um, very but, very different. But the the peasant PDC is richsoil.com p pdc. Well, if you go right. to richsoil.com/pdc, it'll take you to the main to and it'll have links to yeah, everything. Okay. You get all sort of that. And but the important thing is is that we're talking about Allerton Abbey doing the ATI tests. Yes. So the peasant PDC will finish Allerton Abbey, which is like 99% finished right now. Yeah. And so there'll be experiences to be picked up, and then it'll be fenced, and then there'll be a garden put in, and then, you know, it begins. Um, and then yeah. hopefully next winter will be the first annualized uh, inertia test. So annualized thermal inertia test. Yes. And so um, that's that's the first thing I wrote down the list to do that <laughs> test. And it took lots of explaining around it. It did. It did. And um, I and I kind of wish for and I want to do lots and lots of tests in many different styles. I really would like to see us build, you know, five wafatis, five different wafatis, and conduct all kinds of tests and and have a collection of tests. Um, so th- that's what I would like to see happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to be over the next few years, and that's what this this is covering years and years and years. I want to see lots of annualized thermal inertia tests happen, but it takes. I thought, in fact, Allerton Abbey was built in the first few months we were here, and people lived in it that first winter. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then I was told that it's that the. Uh, um, that the air blew through it, and and I was kind of like, well, the guy that's living it, I'm saying, 
well, you're the guy to fix that. Fix that. And, and, uh, I guess, because he had a wood stove in there, and I guess he just went and got more wood for his wood stove. He would get up in the middle of the night to fire up the wood stove. Yeah, yeah. But, and it's like, you know, basically you're just, you're just a, a, a tiny step up from camping if the wind blows through it. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you'd be at the very least hanging blankets on the wall or something, you would think. So the next w- Wafati test you want is a freezer Wafati test. That's true. So this is a design uh, that I've talked about for years. And, and in, in fact, I brought it up when I very first came up with the Wafati design. But um, I believe that we can build something on a north-facing slope and... Um, the the design is going to be that rather than making it warmer, to make it colder, mm-hmm. and and then um, to do stuff so that the water is pushed away, but any cold air is directed towards the wafati, and then it has no windows, and it's buried a little bit deeper. Um, but that uh, I think, because like the average ground temperature right now in uh, Montana is 45 degrees. And I kind of feel like if it's a north-facing slope, I'm going to guess it might be 7 degrees colder. And so now we're talking about 38 degrees. Right. And so then it's kind of like, okay, what if I can do things with that? Like if I direct cold air to it, can I get 2 or 3 degrees colder still? And um, then the next thing is, is that I want to design it so it has um, like a 10-inch duct that wraps around the whole structure, and that if we get to the coldest day of the year, uh, or maybe two or three of the coldest days of the year, then I can open up plugs on that duct, and it's got an angle to it, so that way the warmer air comes up through the ducts and goes out and then the colder air sinks into the duct and it effectively charges the mass. So then I'm thinking like, can I get it down to where the average temperature all year is something like maybe 20 degrees inside of of this space? Yeah. So, um, without any energy, yeah. without electricity. And, and so this is an experiment I still want to do. Yes. Uh, the lemon tree test. So we've got the earthworks done for the lemon tree. And um, I've been out there a few times when it snowed. And, yeah, right where we want the lemon tree to be, there was no snow. And um, But there's snow everywhere else. And so we, we have – it is working. But we gotta probably do more to it, and then, and then if you're going to actually put the lemon tree there, so we started. So there was a guy. He was mm-hmm. here, I think, our second year, mm-hmm. and um, he was a gardener. Mm-hmm. And so we were building him uh, the ten by ten wafati, which we never completed, and it was right next to the lemon tree site. And I kind of thought that. Basically, if the lemon tree can be in his zone one or zone two, then it's going to get more care. Right. And and I kind of feel like that's an important ingredient that the lemon tree would need. Yeah. It's a very, very rocky site, which is great for holding heat. However, there's not much soil there. So there's been some soil building seeds uh, scattered there. And, you know, we've had some clovers and other soil builders 
growing there over the last couple of years. But it, it, you know, if someone is is living nearby and needs a spot to bury or, bury their kitchen scraps, and you know, it would just get richer and richer soil. But now my understanding is is that citrus trees prefer a gravelly soil. I did not know this. And well, you think about it, it makes yeah. sense because a tropical area typically doesn't have a lot of organic matter in the soil. Huh, there we go. Um, I'm not, but maybe uh, maybe citrus trees would really thrive on a on a soil like they'll tolerate rocky soils and they typically grow in rocky soil. I, I don't know. I was making assumptions. I I've never grown citrus, so I don't know. Yeah. I just assumed soil building needed to happen there. Uh, next item, perfect the willow feeder system. And so uh, we've, I think what we've got now is working pretty good, but I do want to do something where we take the cans and we put a, uh, a pipe in it that might be about three inches in diameter down one edge of the can, put some slots on the lower edge, and the, and the idea is to keep it nice and dry because basically, you know, I think that each can can have a different story. Like sometimes there's a can where we're going to introduce black soldier fly larvae, maybe sometimes red wigglers, or maybe sometimes it's going to be, you know, composting organisms, or maybe it's going to be something that's going to be a, a high fungal activity or something like that. But I think that the default is to basically mummify the poops. Yeah. And then, because um, you want to save all that carbon and nitrogen. And so there can be recipes for what you do in the can, but it's like we need, you know, I think like path number one needs some optimization still. And that's going to be, um, I think, this this thing of being able to help dry out the contents of the can. Our willow feeders, for anyone who's not familiar with it, you've probably figured out just by context, it's... It's like an outhouse, but it's not an outhouse. Most outhouses are either a pit toilet where the the waste, the human waste, is going directly into a pit in the ground, and we don't want that because we don't want to pollute groundwater. And then a lot of people do humanure systems where they do a five-gallon bucket, and so they're handling the poop a lot more. We want to find ways to handle it less, so we have a bigger can, and we let it sit longer uh, than most people do to make sure uh, most of the most, if not all, the pathogens have died out. So we call these willow feeder systems because then we will use this nutrient-rich um, waste, human waste. We'll use this nutrient-rich fertilizer on fiber crops like a willow tree or other fibers and not food crops. So this is why we call them willow feeders and not outhouses or not humanure systems because they're very different from how most people manage those other systems. I like the idea of coming up with a system that's better than a sewage treatment plant, which Mm. is better than a septic tank, which is better than an outhouse. Yeah. I also think that someday in the future that we will experiment with dry outhouses, something where uh, the material that goes in um, does not end up in your groundwater. Right. You know, and and yet it and and yet we have some kind of tree right next to the outhouse that will um, consume that material. Before it has a chance to leach yeah. too far. Yeah. All of those kind of things. Lots and lots of threads about those on permies. 
All right. Next up, um, uh, 20 plus year-round residents on the lab. So uh, 20 or more people living on the lab. Uh, and, you know, some of those people will be couples, some of them will be individuals. So, like, uh, I don't know, maybe it'll be 15 to 18 uh, one-acre plots, but they'll have... And some of... We've had some people in the past say that, you know, they'd like to get an extra acre for doing market garden kind of stuff. And it's like, that sounds great. Yeah. And and then once in a while, some people like... Uh, so, like I know that we have um, a couple of uh, the Deep Roots people have two acres, um, and and so I think, you know, I've talked to people in the past about, you know, three acres. So those kinds of things. And then, of course, access to the full property for, you know, managing uh, cattle and the like. That, yeah, that's what I think is amazing is that you can have like-minded neighbor, neighbors and have access to hundreds of acres um, managed by us, let alone all the thousands of acres nearby that are owned by the United States. So... Another situation where we it, we kind of need people to have people and yeah <laughs> and, and it's a bit of a catch twenty two uh, though we do have a few people um, that have stayed with us a lot more than two years even and mm-hmm. we're we're looking at slow growth which is which is fine it's well, a happy way to go I slow growth is fine uh, fast growth is better although not you know of course there's growing pains and we've had growing pains yeah. we, we've had times when it's like wow we're growing really fast now and it's painful mm-hmm. um, but uh, would would really like to it would be great I, I think it'd be great if we had 20 people you know, show up in one form or another this year. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd really like that. I'd, I'd like to see some strong forward velocity. And um, some people are going to be here for maybe just a year or two, and they know it when they show up. Some people are going to say they're going to be here for life, and then they decide that they hate my guts and leave. Uh, and some people are going to be here for life, and then I hate their guts and they leave. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, is, is to try. Try, 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 try. Um, but, okay, for the 20-plus people, it would be great to have somebody who's um, uh, really amazing at cattle, mm-hmm. another person, another party amazing at dairy cattle, uh, somebody who's great at hogs and having the hog sealing ponds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we need that right now. As a matter of fact, that we would that do. would be good. We do. Uh, somebody who's amazing at honeybees. Somebody who's amazing at chickens, specifically breeding chickens. Mm. I'd really like to see some progress in breeding. And in fact, my head is full of ideas, and I just don't have the time. And, and you know, this is a good time to mention. I think I may have mentioned a podcast before, but I'm not sure. And that is that we've made a choice. And and what it what it boils down to is is that I can try to do as much as I can by myself, or, and I can't do both, or build a community that will facilitate like twenty to thirty really great people. Yeah. And and I have to pick one or the other. I cannot do both. Any time I spend doing on the first, I cannot. That's time taken away from the second, and the second needs more of my time. And so I, I have not done. Um, 
because if it were otherwise, I would have already done a thousand times more gardening than I have. I've done some gardening. I've done, but it's like every time I go out to garden, I feel really guilty because I feel like I'm not doing the thing that I have sacrificed so much for. I'm not doing the thing that I have poured my life and all my money and all my everything into. I'm taking away from that. And so i got to continue to focus on that and try to build. You mentioned a lot of uh, animal systems. Um, we also, I know Fred is really um, doing a lot with mushrooms and learning more and more about mushrooms each season. So, And having people who are really awesome at wild crafting or um, other kinds of things besides animal systems, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the list is massive. There's going to be somebody who's, who's awesome at, at natural building. Right. Um, uh, there's going to be somebody who's amazing at roundwood furniture. Yeah. Um, the list goes on and on and on. But I'm also hoping that there will be somebody with one acre, and I'm hoping that that one person with one acre will carefully measure and come back with a Montana state record for an amount of calories of food per acre. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's not that hard to, to do. I mean, if you look at, because like ag, they're going to have like one guy who's got 200 acres. And it's a big flat piece, and he's irrigating it, and he's got certain crops. Maybe it's wheat, and he's, you know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, he's raised this many calories on uh, per acre. And and I kind of feel like, rather than having one guy for 200 acres, I kind of like a permaculture system where it's closer to, like, one person every acre to every five acres. I kind of feel like the number of calories per acre ends up much higher, yeah. especially with permaculture. And I want to I wanna see those kinds of records happen here. I, I want to facilitate it. I want to encourage. I want to somehow nurture that some way. Um, uh, we've we've talked in this podcast before about the story of Ferd and Gert. So we had Gert, uh, and it was uh, uh, retitled to something like, Are There Millions of Permaculture Millionaires? So then somebody who's got a small home, has a fence, and has a garden, and pretty much has 90% of his or her needs met from that, uh, chunk of property and then um, you know they grow more than they can eat and then they sell the excess and uh, they, they it brings in a few thousand dollars a year which turns it to be more than they need and uh, they're you know and the concept is is with Gert we, we make the statement at one point in time I make the statement in my essay about Gert that if I gave Gert a million dollars that her life would not change that, that she would do nothing differently. Uh, it would all be exactly the same. So um, I would like to see several examples of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to have somebody who sets new standards for natural building. They come up with natural building stuff that has not yet been documented and is way beyond anything that I can imagine, that they've come up with some... And I think that there is mountains of room for improvement in this space. Right. We know quite a few people who have gotten seriously ill from their indoor environments. You know, there's mold issues in the way we build houses. There's 
um, people who are chemically sensitive. There's all the off-gassing from the chipboard, which is so full of formaldehyde and other things. So, you know, there's there's so many different ways that people get ill from their homes that I would love to see that too. You know, something that doesn't have off-gassing and yet um, is is mold-free and healthy. There's so many people afflicted with those issues. Okay, I'm looking at these next two items, and I'm thinking, like, um, uh, well, wait a minute. Those belong in the base camp stuff. I must not have... In fact, why don't I just do this? I'll just, through the magic of copy and paste, yeah. um, I'll, do, I'll do this. Yeah, you also mentioned uh, something else there that I think is base camp, unless you want that on well, the lab no. as well. Yeah, uh, so I've got a note here, more and better berm sheds. So I, I kind of feel like the berm shed design is working out really well. Um, I mean, there there was a design flaw in the beginning that was introduced by me. That was bad. I'm a dumbass. Um, of course, it was run by a bunch of other people. Why didn't they point out this flaw too? <laughs> but okay, but it's on me. It's it's really my 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 error. But now that we've corrected the error, um, it's it's rather amazing. And uh, we need to finish the one that we have at base camp. But um, I've already been talking to a couple of different people about building new ones up at uh, the lab. Right. And and it's like they go together fast, super cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, most of it's about, like, the logs, which, you know, if you do it in the right time in the spring, you can get them, you know, to be... Um, in fact, with a berm shed, it doesn't matter if they have bark on them. Go ahead and, and throw the berm shed together with the bark. Although um, the, the the people I've talked to said, oh, they're going to take the bark off before putting the berm shed together. And I kind of feel like, well, if you want to, that's cool. Um, but they probably want to drop those logs at the right time in the spring when the bark pretty much just falls off. Yeah, the only problem then is there's so much uh, juice there that then the logs can mold at that time of year. Right. But at the same time, um, they're going to dry out pretty quick. You could also yeah. roll them around in the sun. You could like... Oh, okay. Um, and dry uh, them yeah. after the bark's off. Or not only that, but the UV radiation will demoldify them. There we go. Just need to roll them, you know, every there go up go. there every few days and give them a, a quarter of a roll. And that'll cook off any any moldy bits. Yeah, if you don't know what we mean about berm sheds or any of these other things, uh, it's almost guaranteed there's a thread about it on Permies. So just Google permies.com and whatever term you're curious about, and you'll see a thread for that. So the berm shed that we have now is 12 cells, 10 by 10 in each cell. With there, It was supposed to be a 5-foot eave, but I was out there measuring it the other day, and it's like, I think it's only like two and a half feet. It's supposed to be a five-foot eave, but um, oh well, damn. Um, but it is uh, a ten by ten cell. We got twelve cells. The cost to build the whole thing was ninety-three dollars. Um, and uh, but you know, just using logs off of the land and and uh, the pin. There are certain pins at certain points, but not very many. But I think. I think that it would be what I if we're going to do this again. I think if we're going to do uh, like I want to do just even just one more cell. I'd like to get somebody that's a that's a real timber framer to to come in put it together. and put it together to be like okay to be the demonstration of how to do it right because this one every time it seems like every time I would go down there to because I would you know the guy that was building it he was that guy that kept saying trust me and then I'd go down there and I'd be like. That is not that is that is not okay. That's not going to work. 
and and I'd explain to him why, and then he would try to like say trust me twenty more times, and then finally, in in the end, I had to have I had to hire somebody else to to to, to pull the wood yeah. off and put it back on the correct a a better way. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, which was making the best of what was there. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but I really I I kind of think that up at the lab. Um, and that in time, uh, nearly every I would I would imagine every plot that's got somebody living on it, they would probably have at least one berm shed. And I kind of feel like I'd like to have it set up so at the landing where people would park their cars because I want this to be a bike ped community. Right. In time, mm-hmm. and so then people would park their cars near the gate. And then they would park all their cars in a berm shed cell. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, then uh, also over at the boneyard, I'd like to have 20 cells of berm shed put in up there. Um, yeah, it just it just helps. We're a pretty dry climate here, um, but just keeping things out of both the sun and the other elements um, really helps. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, all right. Turn Allerton Abbey into a thing of gertitude. And so I think that 80% of that is going to be done at the Peasant PDC this year. Um, but, I mean, uh, there will still be more to be done over the years. And and that's another thing, too, is, is it's like... Who is going to live in Allerton Abbey this upcoming winter to do the annualized thermal inertia tests? Right. I would like to think, and, and as long as we're fantasizing, and that's mm-hmm. what this is, this mm-hmm. is all about fantasy, I would like to think that at the Peasant PDC this year, there would be a really lovely couple, and then when the PDC is over, they, they're going to say that they want to stay longer. And then in time, it's going to just work out to be that they want to stay in uh, Allerton Abbey over the winter um, and and do that first test. Kind of like how um, uh, Emily and Tony, uh, we first met them in San Diego. Right. They traveled, like, uh, across the country to be there. Yeah. And uh, I was teaching a workshop, and they attended that. Um, and then, of course, there was an event that happened after that. And that was the keynote. Yeah. And um, uh, and then later, they came up and they uh, helped build the rocket mass heater in the teepee. And then yeah. they stayed that first winter in the teepee. Yes, that was awesome. Yeah. They're awesome folks. I yeah. I what. What really needs to happen around Allerton Abbey, and then you also have turning Cooper Cabin into a thing of gratitude, is someone living there, someone starting to grow more and more and more in the Zone 1, uh, doing some fencing to keep the wildlife from destroying some of the food systems that are starting to grow. We keep we keep planting more and more, you know, we're... We some years we plant more than the wildlife can destroy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some years we do not plant more, the, and it just gets destroyed by weather and wildlife. Uh, but well, it's gradually, you know, gradually you start getting ahead of it a little bit. We have a fence around. We've got one paddock built at base camp. Yes. And uh, it keeps the deer out. 
Yes. But uh, the, the turkeys have discovered that all the best munchies are inside that paddock. Now, I kind of think that once we get to the point that we have eight or nine paddocks here at base camp, then um, the turkeys will have a much harder time getting into that paddock. And and then I think that they'll be uh, discouraged enough. And I also kind of think that when we get to the point that we have several residents here at base camp, I think that uh, the turkeys will like be because right now they pretty much live on this property a hundred turkeys hundred wild turkeys <laughs> and um and so it's kind of like okay well rather than having the land naturally raise a hundred natural turkeys how about if we use the same land to raise our turkeys or chickens or hogs <laughs> right, or something like that yeah uh, and and we'll and rather than having them obliterate our gardens just randomly we'll have animals come pulse through the system and it'll be in a well, managed way yeah, yeah in a managed way so, um, uh, but you're right. I, I, I think that the, uh, the the peasant PTC is going to be building a fence around Allerton Abbey because otherwise everything you plant is just deer food. Yeah. And or, or moose. Oh yeah, we saw moose up. We went up there. Was it yesterday? Yes. We we're up at the lab and we saw two meese. I know. I want to call them meese. It's mooses. Moose. I think moose is the plural and the singular term. Moose. We saw two moose. If I say mooses, do you, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I I think I'm so or meese. I do uh, want to say meese. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but anyway, there were two of the moose people. <laughs> right. Uh, right near Cooper Cabin. It was it was pretty amazing and awesome to see them there. And they kind of ran off. That's the first I've ever seen moose run off. I, every Weird. time I've ever encountered moose before, they're like, I am of no consequence to them. Must be hunting season. Maybe that's or, it. Or just past hunting season. And that's what happens with the turkeys, too, is there's two seasons, uh, turkey seasons, for hunting in this area. And the, the flocks dramatically increase and decrease, depending on what time of year it is. All right. Uh, next thing. Water, water everywhere. And it's like, I think I've had these following conversations with more than a hundred different people. And I'm, I'm still super enthusiastic about these things. And so, um, but I'm pretty sure I've not mentioned any of them in a podcast. So let's do it. First of all, we have been down the road many times for many people who are going to put in a well. And every and there's there's two wells up there right now, and and I'm sorry on the lab on yeah. the lab yeah and and I feel confident that both of those wells are it's pulling water from like uh, 25 to 40 feet down it's just it's just seep water it's it's not like a real authentic quality well and um, it's, so it's good enough for some uses but you know all right um not not great water not great quantity either um and and so i kind of feel like you know i think i think one of the things i want to do and maybe this upcoming year is the year is to put in a professional well and and like it'll probably be 300 to 500 feet deep and, um, you know, then we've got, as long as we have a solar system that'll pump it, we've got water we, we can pull up. We can put it into, because uh, like here at base camp, uh, the well is 600 feet deep, 
And there's a comical podcast from a few months ago where oh, uh, we, we had a, a, we had comedy with our well. And uh, but we have a cistern that's about 800 to 900 gallons mm-hmm. that is underground, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where all of our water is stored mm-hmm. um, and and buffered because um, our well, I think we've measured it as a third of a gallon per minute. And when we have an event here, we got 50 people. It's kind of like um, it's it's about a uh, what we have we have about seven gallons per person is what we per day seven gallons per person per day is all the water we have and uh, there have been some days when it's been cutting it close mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we had a leak for a while and that leak got Fred repaired the leak um, he found it um, and repaired it so we're thinking like okay now we're gonna have more water yay. And uh, it hasn't been enough. We we still run low. Um, constant adventures. But it'd be great to have a professional, proper well put in up at the lab um, for all the reasons. So there's there's that. I think we just gotta. We for a while there, I thought we could put in our own and and we and we could buy our own well drilling equipment and stuff like that and. And um, now I'm just I'm just kind of done with that. It's like nope, let's let's just get one professionally installed. Next up, um, the creek bed has been dry for four years. Um, so there's kind of like in spots you can see something resembling a creek bed. Like like there was a creek here 40 years ago, 50 years ago, um, and in the maps it shows uh, a creek. Year round on the lab, Creek. yeah, on the lab, and and it's like now this last spring, there was water where there, you know, where the where the creek was named, where that there, but it right. was like it wasn't for very long, just a few days, yeah, um, but in in every previous year, when all the area was being flooded, there was still no water here, so um, it's like. There'll be, yeah. Anyway, what I want to do is bring back the creek. Yeah. And and it's like the trees that are growing here are dominantly conifers. Yeah. And so I just feel like if we can go and plant a lot of taproot species throughout here and the right kinds of species, it'll bring water up and form reform this creek. Yeah. And so that's a project that I want to do. Yeah, we were looking at the creek bed um, that first winter we were here when I slipped and broke my wrist during a podcast. <laughs> there must have been a mud puddle there for you to slip. Was a I mud thought, puddle that froze over to provide a surface flat enough for you to slip yeah, on. Yeah, we were walking around on the lab, and, and that was funny because I'm giving you the cut sign with a finger across my throat, and you're like... Jocelyn fell down. She's not getting up. I said, you sat down. Why are you sitting on the ground? <laughs> I was trying to Why say, are cut, you on the, cut, get cut. off of the ground. And then he finally uh, stops the podcast. I said, I think I broke my arm. And he's like, really? Because it was such a silly little fall. Who would have thought? Till I pulled my sleeve back. Oh, yeah. It looked all fucked up. And then you like, went, okay. I'll get the car. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get you out of here now. Yeah, yeah. Let's go get. Let's go get that. Message. It was silly. It was a podcast adventure. Who knew they could be that dangerous? All right. The next item about water. 
um, I want to create creeks where there have been no creeks. So, like, there's one spot that's kind of a little above Ant Village where there's a draw. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, well, we got a pond there right now. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like above that pond, I want to do what it takes to make it so that a creek will form where there's not been a creek before. And I kind of feel like we could probably do that kind of thing in a few spots and bring water in where um, there's not been a creek before. Um, and so I think we can do it. I I, um, I I really like this idea. In four years, there have been a lot of tree seeds tucked into the soil um, at the lab. There have even been some saplings, you know, young trees planted there and protected from wildlife with branches around them, you know, and there have been a lot of things, you know, planted to try and help encourage more of the kind of growth that will help with that. But uh, lots more to be done. Uh, And the last, are you ready for the next item? Yeah, yeah. The last ATC, did they, they built an airwell. Yeah, a Johnson-style airwell exists now up on the lab. And, uh, of course, you know, we got to wait for it. Like, right now, air needs to move through it and make it super, super cold. Yeah. And then uh, when next summer rolls around, then um, uh, warm air will pass through it. The water will condense, and we will collect water. Now, it's not going to be – I'm going to guess that – and it was built kind of short. And, and the reason is is that the spot that we picked – there were better spots to go to, but we didn't have infrastructure to get us easily to those spots. Mm. And so it's kind of like we should, you know, make something road-ish so we can get the excavator up to this spot and do burr, 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 burr. Right. So uh, as is, we put this in, and it's short. And so I'm kind of thinking like, okay, on a really, on a warm and muggy day, this will probably generate 10 gallons of water a day. Not a huge amount, but then it's about a third of the length of what it should be, and so it's kind of like, all right, so if it was three times longer, it would make 30 gallons, and then if we had 10 of them, that would be 300 gallons, and 300 gallons a day is what we have here at base camp coming from our well. Well, right. And even if your estimates are optimistic, even a fraction of that is amazingly helpful and, and a wonderful thing. So what a fun experiment. And, and that's why it's called the laboratory for these kind of innovations and experiments. Right. So let's see how it does. Let's yeah. see how it does. Yeah. Um, lots of ponds. Uh, we uh, have a couple of ponds up there now. Um, and... Uh, currently, they are not holding water, and so I really want to get pigs up there to to, to seal them. Yeah, there's um, a there's a lot of clay in places on lab. In fact, we've got a great clay mine for, which is everyone calls shitty cob, right? You know, or there's places. Oh, that's that a different have, that's a different okay. clay spot. Yeah, yeah, well, there's there's all kinds of great clay up there, but um, yeah, making sure those ponds are sealed would be good. I I want to I have a design that I have never implemented yet and I want to give it a try at some point but I mean like it's going to take 
uh, um, probably two and a half days with an excavator to to try, and I call it a humus well, and and so then <clears throat> I'm not sure if I've mentioned it in a podcast, but the idea is, and it comes from uh, when I was looking for land. So this had to be you know more than five years ago. Um, and I was in a uh, looking at a uh, property that uh, um, was really too far away from Missoula, um, but uh, n- the property shared a border with natural forest service land, and it was there was a road that was cut through that defined the border, and so you would so basically on the uphill side of this road was was national forest service land which apparently uh, had never been cut, hmm. never been harvested. Hmm. And it looks like, as far as I can tell, never been in a forest fire. Hmm. And, and at the time, the day that I'm there, it is super smoky. In fact, this, this had to be 2012. Remember 2012? Um, uh, it was like uh, uh, two months straight of smoke in the air from forest fires everywhere because it was so dry. Yeah, and so I'm looking at this land, and um, and this Forest Service land is just 40 acres, and so from where I'm at on this road, it goes up to the top of this ridge, which is probably 300 yards, no, 200 yards, 200 yards, and um, dry and smoky, and everything I'm looking at is so dry except for this patch of land. It's it's thick thick conifers um, you, you can only you, you can't see very far into this patch of conifers it's so thick um, and there's water dripping onto the road wow and so and it was a, it was a fair bit of water and I'm thinking like wow that's not a lot of area up there yeah and that's a lot of water to be dripping out especially when Everything's so dry. It's so droughty yeah. and stuff. And yeah. so um, I kind of thought what I want to do is I, I want to kind of uh, make a, a ditch that's like um, 15 feet wide and probably two feet deep and line it with something that is, you know, uh, not water that water can't pass through, and then kind of give it a little bit of a V-shape that goes down the hill. So that way, at the bottom of the V-shape, then I can collect the water. And, you know, for what I saw there, if I had something that was 15 feet wide from what I saw, I mean, that would easily be um, three gallons an hour, mm-hmm. you know, so not too shabby in the middle of summer when things are super dry. So that's my idea for a humus well. Um, the other thing is is that uh, there's video out about Sepp Holzer and the, at his new property, Holzerhof, and he has created something that he calls terrace wells. Hmm. And so all the water that he drinks currently comes off of a terrace well. Hmm. And, uh, and so what he does is he creates a terrace, but of course his terraces are not totally level. They kind of have little ups and downs and stuff like that. And then on a down spot... Then he um, puts in something that will collect the water. And Zach Weiss is very familiar with this technique, and he said he'd be glad to come here and do it. Nice. 
Uh, Dupons uh, defeat systems the winner. So Dupons are going to be nothing more than a pond that has no water flowing into it, and it just happens to collect whatever water happens to land in it through the winter. And um, that could be a significant amount of water. And, you know, it's also possible to create stuff that will, uh, you know, a joining area that will feed into it. But then the big thing is, is that if you get into the deep part of summer, you could tap into whatever's in there if, if your dew pond is high up and have it feed the rest of your water systems. And then that leads to the next item, which is um, I would like to have a series of solar pumps that will recirculate the water. So... We'll have a pond at the lowest point on the property and a pond at the highest point on the property. And then um, we will just uh, uh, keep moving the water back up during the day as the sun hits these solar panels. Lovely. Yeah. And so then whatever pond is at the tippy top, that by the end of the day, um, it should be full. Mm-hmm. And uh, any overflow feeds into the rest of the systems. And so then, um, in theory, and then, you know, we could also set up systems that capture gray water that go into our system and, and things of that nature. But I kind of feel like, you know, having a collection of different little creeks and different little water bits that add into the system is going to, you know, compensate for any evaporation. So... And then finally, and this is something that we came this close to having built this year, is a natural swimming pool. And so, um, uh, but, you know, on the wish list for now, I think it's going to happen pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, when we were first on the property, of course, we knew we needed water up on the lab, a water source on the lab. And so that's been a, a huge priority and a huge focus in a lot of ways and still is. But some of these other water capture and water slow and sink and different water things have not really been part of the design yet because we've still been getting roads in place. We've still been getting, um, you know, willow feeders in place. I mean, people got to have a place, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, to do some certain basics. So we've still been getting people here, um, educating people and running workshops and and some of these other water capture and water flow things we just haven't gotten to and that's it's kind of a funny thing because some permaculture people who come here they're like where's your where's your water capture where's your water retention you know that's like their mm-hmm. first thing they don't understand why we didn't do that first off um and it's i think it's you know it's a little hard to set up a water retention system and then realize you need a road there and then the road cuts right through which all that other earthworks we we talked earlier about the boot camp program and so far we have at the moment we have two spots open on the boot camp program and um and that's for six and and then i like the idea that we'll somehow discover another leader and then we could have two teams of six um, I mean, I'm wishing. This is this is a sure. fantasy list. I can wish. Yeah. And and then that helps us to improve our overall forward velocity, in order to be able to you know get all these things done and make all these things happen. Because it's it's really because like you're saying it, it you know there are certain things you have to have in place to have a minimum number of people, mm-hmm. and then you got to have that first, and then you can move on to moving other projects forward. Um, and I and a lot of it is is well and a lot of it's coin, you know we really need somebody who's going to manage renting out the teepee, 
And then I think that that'll bring in some coin. And then we've got, I think we we were just figuring it out earlier, that we've got five structures that each have a rocket mass heater in them, and they're currently ready and available to rent. And um, uh, and it's kind of like we just, but they're sitting empty because we don't have a person to do it. And it's like I'm I'm spread way too thin. I mean, I could use a break, <laughs> and I know you could use a break. I saw your calendar for the next three days, and I think you were booked 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. every day. Right, and I'm behind, so we can't go over on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, all right. So it's like, you know, we got to find a way to, to try and move forward with all of this. All right, all right, putting in the next one, improve all roads, and that includes putting a crown on them. And granted, I want to kind of close all of our roads and make it a total bike-ped community. But in the meantime, it's kind of like, you know, if there gets to be a certain amount of snow or a certain amount of rain... Uh, there are certain po- some of the roads turn really awful, and and so we kind of need to have. I want all of our roads to be accessible by two-wheel drive vehicles. That we shouldn't have to have four-wheel drive, right? Even in the snow. And so um, I I I kind of feel like well, let's make a good road, and then we'll close the road, and then it's a path. You know, you use just one part of it to be your bike ped path, and and. Uh, uh, that's a great way, but but for the moment, I mean, when people are like at Ant Village and they're building a structure, then um, you know they're going to make that once a week trip to town for food and uh, maybe materials and tools and stuff like that. Um, and I'm kind of thinking like, well, for now we'll allow cars. For now we'll allow cars and trucks and whatnot on a minimal level, with the idea that there will be a day in the future where this becomes all bike ped and and I kind of feel like it might be bike ped but you know there will be exceptions made from time to time for reasons but anyway still even even then like we need to have somebody who's um uh like they've we've got the road in place and then and then it rains that it doesn't that we don't have those two or three spots on that road that turn into a, like a, a little yeah. bit of a slip and slide. Yeah. Um, and so then then the quality of the road will still be there. And so then if there's a need and it's a rainy day, it's like the road will work. Right. Oh yeah. 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 And and it's not as bad as it was, but yes. Um, that that's something that just takes time and money and the right equipment to keep it correct. All right. Next item is a living fence on the perimeter. And so uh, I I don't know how many times we've talked to people who were getting in the seeds or they got the seeds and they're gonna but they're waiting for one other seed and and you know they're gonna go to and there's also places here at base camp where the mulch has been laid down for the living fence but the seeds have not been planted and and i kind of feel like the idea of the living fence is the best way to go for a perimeter fence. Well, and I and I even tried to jumpstart one tiny little section of it by purchasing and and paying an a awesome guy to plant them for me because I was too busy and too slow at planting some 
small saplings to start a bit of it here at base camp. And I think this last year's drought killed those because I just I couldn't keep them watered. So uh, even some of the ones I tried to jumpstart, you know, just a couple uh, random ones across one stretch of where we want the living fence. They were hawthorns. And now, uh, does hawthorn have a taproot? I don't know. It might. It's in the rose family, which is... I would think it would apples have... Apples are in the... I'm going to guess it has a, a yeah. taproot, and so that would have been better to start from seed. I know. Okay. All right. All right. I All know. Right. I just wanted to jumpstart a couple little spots there and, and get more diversity f- from all the conifers here, you know, have some more uh, deciduous trees. So I hmm. uh, tried to jumpstart them. They might be dead. Okay. Unless they coppice themselves, maybe there's some life in a root. <laughs> I doubt it, though. All right. Uh, Three-season bee forage near the bee hut. And, and so, of course, we've got somebody who's a bee expert who's just bonkers about bees up there. But but I've had a lot of people come up, and they're like, um, they love bees, and they're so passionate about bees. And and, yeah. and then it's like, well, then, hey, let's, uh, you know, why don't you, um, no, no. I like bees this much, but I just like to sit in a chair and stare at them. <laughs> uh, and I'm, it's kind of like uh, the, the bees have done all right on their own um, up there. Uh, we've had different kinds of adventures and stuff, but they're pretty much on their own. And really, it would be good to, to have thorough care. And in fact, I think, uh, yeah, here's the next item on the list. Capture a dozen bee swarms. Um, I think it would be great to get those uh, those nukes out that you put up high in a tree and then see if we can capture, you know, maybe three swarms this year. But it takes work. It takes time. you got to go check them, all the things. And um, we just haven't had the, 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 the time and the people. Um, all right. Oh, find permies to buy the adjacent properties. So there are currently two properties for sale that touch our property. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there were three, and one recently got purchased by somebody that's not a permie. And it's like, all right, we will roll with that. Um, and, uh, um, oh, four. There were four. Two of them have been purchased by people that are not permies. Um, but it would be great. I mean, if somebody somebody likes the idea of being next to my property and they want to do things a little bit differently, hey, here's your chance. This will be cool. Come on out. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> there, there was a thread about that on in the Wheaton Labs forum on permies, and you had some people saying, oh, I want to, I want to. Give me a private tour. And there were one or two people that seemed so sure that they were highly likely to buy property that in the past you did give a couple people a private tour. But then that just uh, seven times I gave was the, it seven? I gave it the the private tour of these properties that were for sale seven times. Seven. And they're coming out here and they're like they are buying it. Or they, there was like one where it's like, well, I just want to look and see and you know, oh maybe I just like to and that's okay. And at the time, you know, and, I didn't realize and it's like it was but then there was the, there was like the rest were all like 
I am definitely buying it, but I just need to see it first. And and then it turned out they were not definitely buying it because they're none, still for sale. None of those seven bought property next yeah. to us. And and you stopped giving private tours. I stopped giving out the information about it because yeah. what ha- well, what happened is, is we had that thread about it. Won't you be my neighbor? And then um, I think, and all I said was, well, I think I ended up giving out the location to 20 different parties, and I think that's all they wanted. They just wanted to know where we are, you know, and and it's kind of like, um, and and I was saying like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, do you have the means to be able to buy this property outright because it's owned by a timber company and they're not going to, you know, you Finance can't do it. financing. Yeah. And um, and they're like, oh yeah, I've got five hundred thousand in the bank. I'm ready to buy a property now. And I think that that was a technique called lying. <laughs> it's like. You know, they just—they were just curious. They just wanted to know and where we are and and stuff like that. And it's like, so I'm all done. I'm all done playing that game, and and uh, I'm all done giving the tour. And so somebody did contact me, to, you know, and um, I put him in touch with the real estate agent. Yes. Yeah. And it's like the real estate agent gets paid. Right. You know? If they end up buying it, they get paid. Yeah. 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 I think what the challenge has been for quite a lot of people is they think, oh, I want a homestead. I want a homestead. And then when they look at off-grid property that has no utilities. Yeah. And then they start really thinking and planning out how they could live there off-grid with no utilities <laughs> and they start looking at okay we could drill a well and if i do want power i'd have to pay you know and, th- and when they start researching all of those little things then they get cold feet yeah yeah and this is not a life for everybody mm-hmm. um and but at the same time i kind of think that there are some really amazing places that have been set up that uh are um off grid Mm-hmm. And and they've got some small solar panels and they do great. Yeah. And that's another thing too is it's kind of like uh, I've seen people that live off grid and they've got like I don't know it must be twenty thousand watts of solar panels and it's like shit. Um and I, I they must have enough so that they could run their electric clothes dryer, <laughs> you know and and uh, maybe they have electric heat or something I don't know. Who knows? But um but yeah this would be a a humbler path on the power but it's kind of like um you know if your heat is wood and and you dry your clothes on a line then you, you end up not needing a whole hell of a lot of electricity. Um, um, if, if you're, uh, if you're the kind of person that has to have 20 full-size light bulbs on at any given time, well, maybe off-grid's not for you. Um, but, I mean, most of the time, we, we you know, in the winters, like, remember down in Siemensville, one light bulb. We, in the evenings, it was one light bulb. And then, um, and... I don't know, but we kind of set up a way of living around that, which is we're not going to be totally spread out to different ends of the building and stuff. Right. And then uh, it's like, oh, you wanted to go to the kitchen? No problem. Turn on this light. And then, you know, when you're done in the kitchen, then you turn it off. 
right. So there, yeah, there's there's a lot. I, anyway, so yes, it would be lovely to have lovely neighbors. And um, even if, you know, people don't plan to build their cabin there till later, you know, that's a lot of times what people do. Um, and, and I think we have a deep roots person like or two like that, that they have a deep roots acre on the lab and, you know, eventually they'll build on it, you know, later, maybe. Uh, next up um, is a Wafati bathhouse and laundry. And, and I don't know, whenever I look at this, I keep thinking that this could be the long-term destination for Allerton Abbey. But um, uh, I I do think, like, next to the teepee, it would be good to have a little something. Mm-hmm. And um, But I like the idea of having something that is, like, the a bathtub for... A bathtub is, is the center of something, and it's magnificent. And uh, a lot of light, um, a lot of houseplants. But the big thing is, is that as we explore doing a lot of the stuff and, and having pressurized plumbing, we keep coming back to the whole thing about, like, you, you got to keep it safe from freezing or all the pipes explode and stuff like that. And um, so how do, you, how do you mitigate that? Well, a wafati, in theory, will stay quite warm all year long. And so um, kind of thinking that, okay, you could plumb a wafati. And so I, I like at the teepee, I keep imagining something that might be uh, like 12 by 14, uh, a wafati that's, that's pretty much just got... Um, uh, a place to poop and a shower and a tub and and maybe a washer and dryer. Well, probably not a dryer, a washer. <laughs> and so that way, whoever's staying in the teepee can um, have access to something like that. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.